Okay, amen, amen. Well, it's a good day. It's the day of the Lord. We're here to praise God and to worship God together. So welcome once again. Our text for this morning comes from Colossians chapter 2. This is part of the lectionary reading that we're doing in these uh, extraordinary texts for ordinary times. And I want to read for you just two verses, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The town of Colossae is not exactly like the city of Berkeley. It sits about 120 miles east of Ephesus off the Aegean Sea. It was a, well, a wool uh, gathering or a wool producing town. They created a particular purple dye that was important and was part of their uh, economy of the time. But they stretched their arms both east and west. To the east, they took uh, their offering to send to the temple in Jerusalem. To the west, they looked at Ephesus. And in the mix of that, they had all sorts of philosophies, which we'll hear in a few weeks, philosophies, uh, different ways of thinking, uh, theologies, and so forth. Berkeley, on the other hand, is sitting... uh, in the East Bay, it is a beautiful city. It is across from another beautiful city. It is, has a world-renowned university, uh, and it has quite a mix of people as well. The thing about the Word of God is that it will touch both Colossae in 66-ish or 61 uh, of the Common Era and Berkeley in 2022. And so we want to look at the text. We want to see what's going on. It's a challenge there. And it's a challenge to live Christianly, uh, even in the face of a culture which does not necessarily or is not necessarily receptive to the gospel. So what is the gospel message that we are presenting? And how does that work and how does it function? I, I do sometimes worry about the church in America and how it functions. The world is such a different place than it was when some of us grew up in the 50s and 60s, or the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, It's just a different place than it was. And the way that we understand the gospel is different than at least the subculture within which I was raised. That Christian subculture uh, had one agenda, And the agenda was evangelism. Uh, You were to tell people about Jesus, and that was really the primary thing that the Christian life brought for you. In, um, In mission, the same thing was true. What would happen is you would send missionaries, and what they would do is they would proclaim the gospel. They would witness to their faith in Jesus Christ. And so evangelism became the central overarching theme of what Christianity, or at least the subculture of Christianity, uh, was, was known for. 
Um, what that meant was that such things that we're talking about today as racism and sexism and nationalism and militarism and whatever ism that we want to bring up, and those become part of the, of the worship moment because God cares about all people in all situations, that was never heard. That was never taught. And for us, for some of us growing up, there were wounds, scars that we still carry today from that what I would call a narrow understanding of the Christian faith. I remember my first foray into uh, witnessing. Um, I was with my brother. I was in the first grade. My brother was in the second grade. And we were walking home from school. We were living in Ithaca, New York at the time. We were walking home from school, and there was somebody, a friend of ours, in between the two of us, on my left and... Uh, and, and on Steve's right. And so we talked to him about, his, uh, about knowing Jesus. And we said, you've got to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> now, both of those two words, burn and hell, were critically important for this conversation because he needed to know how serious it was uh, if he didn't believe in Jesus. Uh, that particular friend never walked home with us again. Um, <laughs> but we did our work, right? <laughs> we did what we were supposed to do. Evangelize. Tell somebody about the good news that God has done in Jesus, right? <laughs> yeah, it didn't quite work out that way, I know. Um, but what we have come to understand is that this is only part. There's decision and there's discipleship. In our own church, in our own, uh, not just congregation, but in our denomination, we have had these separations. We've had, you know, the old school, the new school. We've had the fundamentalists and the modernists. We've had the evangel evangelicals and we've had the social action. Uh, we've had all of these different groups. And I think what I appreciate about the church today, and this church also in particular, is that we're trying to bring to the world, to Berkeley, to this area, a holistic gospel, a gospel that sees both as critically important to the life of faith. It's not one or the other. We can't separate it like that. It, it's one that leads to the next. It's one that uh, is holistic in our way of understanding what God is doing in the world today. And the, here's what I fear a little bit, is that in, in light of the fact that we're more conscious of God's bigger world and want to speak into it, sometimes we have forgotten about the personal relationship and the necessity of personal decision for Christ. It's a personal decision. It's a decision that you make in your heart before the living God. Will you or will you not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Receiving Jesus is personal. And although we are, as I say, sometimes hesitant to talk about it, um, I think it is the beginning point. It's the starting point. It's the, um, the way that we enter into what God is doing in the world and in our life. Our text this morning 
tells us about this. And it does so in a very uh, interesting way, I think. It talks about the very heart of Christianity. Listen to the primary uh, statement in verse 6. As you have received the Messiah, the anointed one, comma, Jesus the Lord, comma, continue, continually live, walk, conduct your life in him. As you have received, so walk. What does it mean for us to receive Jesus as Lord and Messiah? What does it mean for us to receive? And then, what does it mean for us to walk? And what does it mean for us to walk in light of having received Jesus as the anointed one, as God's anointed, and as our Lord and Savior? Well, let me read this again for you, because I want to just primarily talk about those two words, received and walk. By the way, one is, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a past tense, but it's really, it, it covers the whole of life. It sees the, the whole thing. Have, having received, that puts you in a new context. Continue walking, that's a present tense. It's, a, it's an ongoing thing. So here's how I would translate this. As, therefore, as you have received uh, the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus the Lord, in him continue living your life. Being, or, or since you have been uh, rooted, that is the, the, the roots of your life have gone into the soil of Jesus Christ, have been rooted and um, uh, have been um, built uh, or are being built, is a better way to say it, are being built in him and are being confirmed, are being established in the faith as you have been taught. Abounding, therefore abounding, overflowing in thanksgiving or with thanksgiving. Therefore, and we always have to check what that means. Therefore, in light of all that God has done in Christ. Now, if you want to know what uh, is being told to the Colossians, all that God has done in Christ, read chapter 1. There's a beautiful hymn to Christ in the middle of chapter 1. There are other things. So, what has God done through Christ in creation, in the cross and resurrection, in redemption, in forgiveness, in holding all things together, in being the ruler uh, of the rulers of the world, in being the primary person that is then bringing all things and holding all things together. In light of all of that, in light of all of that, you have received what this which you have received from Christ, live your life in it. What you have received is Christ. All of that simply is what God has done through Jesus Christ. What you have received is, in fact, Christ, the living Christ, the living Lord. So, look at verse 7. In verse 7, what we have is how this actually looks in terms of pictorial images. All of this is trying to get at something so significant and so important that one image will not do. It's looking at all of the different Im images. So look at uh, verse 7. 
This is a, a perfect tense. So this is something that has happened. This is the state of being that you are in. You have been rooted. That is your life. The plant of your life has put down roots in the soil of Jesus Christ. Agriculture. And you are. Change of tense or change of um, voice here. You are in the process of being, um, of being built. Being built together, being built into something, maybe the dwelling of God itself, it doesn't fully clarify that, but being built in Him or by Him. And you are being confirmed in the faith. You are being confirmed. This is a legal term. It's, it's, a, it's a document that you get in the transfer of, um, in the transfer of property uh, to show that actually that transfer of property has taken place. So you have been uh, confirmed, established, transferred in the faith or in the faithfulness of God, I think is another way to say that, in the faithfulness of God, in faith, just as you were taught. Okay, so you have a, an image of, of uh, agriculture. You put roots down. You have an image of architecture. There's a building that's going on here, and you have an image, uh, a, a legal image. Uh, you've been transferred. All that is what has happened to you in Christ. When you make a decision to follow Christ, when you make a decision uh, to, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what happens. So, in the, what we could say, is the midnight hour when you wonder where is God and what is God doing and how come things aren't working out like I thought they would. Remember this first step that then brought you into being planted, being established, and being transferred into the realm of the living God. That's where you live. That's the sphere in which you live. What you received is Jesus. That's personal. That's individual. Now, it, God has done this for all people, right? But nonetheless, you make that decision as a personal decision. In light of this truth, then what you are to do is to walk, to live, to continue to uh, follow Christ, to conduct your life in the sphere of this influence. There is no separation then between decision and discipleship. There's no separation between faith and works. There's no separation here between believing and behaving. The indicative, that is what is, what God has done, is followed by the imperative, what we should be doing, that is living with this overwhelming sense of thanksgiving. Okay. So how do, we, how, how do we picture this? I want to contrast now two people in Scripture. You're very familiar with both of them. The first is the young man that comes to Jesus, uh, chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel and parallels in the synoptics. But chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel talks about this young man who comes to Jesus. He has done everything. Spiritually, he's right up there. He has kept all the commands. He's guarded them. Uh, he's kept them all his life from his youth. But there's an emptiness. There's something nagging in his soul. It's not quite enough. He knows it's not quite enough. And so he's coming to Jesus. He wants eternal life. He wants authentic existence. 
He wants this, this spiritual fulfillment, but something is missing. And so he comes to Jesus, and actually it shouldn't be that difficult, right? He comes to Jesus and says, I want to inherit eternal life. But according to Mark's gospel anyway, what we have just seen is that the kingdom of God is, for, is like these children. It's for these children. Well, if it's for the kids, if it's for these children, it can't be that hard. And so he probably thinks, okay, that's good. Um, and so he, um, he begins to ask Jesus again, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to be sure. And Jesus looks at him, um, loves him, we're told, in Mark's gospel. Jesus loves him. And he says to him, well, there's only one thing that you lack. Now, my hunch is that that was good news, at least initially. That was good news for this young man. There's only one thing you lack. Okay, good. I've done all these other things. I can do one more thing. And so... Jesus says, just one thing, one, not so little, but nonetheless one thing. Leave everything and follow me. Leave it. Sell it, go sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Just one, not so little thing. And we're told in the story that he went away sad. Now, my hunch is that he is representative of many of us, at least on our pilgrimage. Maybe not today, but we have been on our pilgrimage. He was very willing to do things for God. He made sure that he kept the commands. He made sure that other people probably kept the commands. He, he lived a moral life, a very moral life. And he wanted uh, something that was missing. And what was missing is... He hadn't, as Jesus understood it, I think from this text, he had not yet given himself to God. Jesus wanted him. Jesus didn't want his money or his status or how good of a, a director he might have been in whatever he was doing. Jesus wanted him. It was very personal. Jesus wanted him to make a decision for the sake of giving his life to Jesus and follow Jesus. He went away empty, maybe even emptier than when he came. Now, Marianne Tolbert, when she uh, looks at this particular text, she's a, a Markan scholar, when she looks at this particular text, she says, actually, this young man probably represents the third of the four types of soil. Uh, in Mark 4, remember, there's the, the parable of the soils. There's the, there's the rocky soil, the soil by the footpath, the good soil, but there are too many thorns in it, so the good seed can't grow. And then there's the good soil, where the seed grows. The third is what this man represents. The lure of riches, the, the uh, delights of the world, uh, and other desires kept him from giving himself to, to the Lord, to God. Um, I think giving ourselves to the Lord is sometimes hard, 
because we feel like when we're doing the commands, when we're keeping the commands, it feels like we're in the process of giving ourselves to the Lord. And we might be. Our behavior might not look any different. But deep in the recesses of our own heart, we know. Have we said yes to Jesus in the way that would give ourselves this personal decision um, to the Lord? Now contrast him with the Samaritan woman. I love the Samaritan woman. I think she's fabulous. She's a better theologian than most people in the New Testament. Jesus is on his way from, um, from Judea up to Galilee. They're going through Samaria, the fastest route. He's thirsty, tired. He sits at the well. His disciples go in to get something to eat into the town. And this woman comes, she's carrying her, her jar uh, and probably utensils to drink out of. And there she is and she sees Jesus and he begins to engage her in discussion. He's already in the process of breaking barriers. He's not supposed to do that. He's, he's not supposed to engage women in public like that, um, like he is with her. But she knows something about her in the dialogue, about him in the dialogue that they have. He rec she recognizes that he's a Jewish man, yes, but he knows something about her. And he recognizes something about her past. And she says, oh, by the way, you must be a prophet because you understand these things and you know these things. And then she not only recognizes him as a prophet, but she thinks to herself, maybe, just maybe, this is God's anointed one. Things are happening. I've heard things are happening, and in my life, there's something going on that is different. And so what did she do? She left everything. She left the water jar. She left the utensils. She maybe left her pride maybe her reputation right there at the well, and she goes back into town. She was probably ostracized by her town anyway because she was out there at noon in the heat of the day getting water. Nobody was with her. And she goes into town and she tells people, come and meet Jesus for yourself. She had tasted the living water. And she went out. She didn't talk to him about hell or about burning up, as far as we know. She said, there's somebody out there that you need to meet. Come and see who this is. Meet this person. Your life, your spiritual life, your inner being will be refreshed because of the living water that he will give you. So the question is, where are we? Where are we in our pilgrimage with God? Have we, can we say to ourselves, and I'm not looking for a, a date and a time and, and an event, but can we say to ourselves, yes, I have given my life to the Lord. Yes, I'm not just acting religiously. I'm actually living Christianly. I am depending on what God has done in Christ for the very life of uh, my very life, for the spiritual nourishment, for this uh, new eternal life that begins that very day we make that decision. Only you know, you and God. And yet, as we live our life, 
what others know is are we then moving in this abounding nature of thanksgiving? Have we gone into the, into the uh, reality of God so far and so deep that there is such this overflowing reality of thanksgiving? Thanksgiving for a new life, thanksgiving for a new start, thanksgiving for a new way to understand relationships, Thanksgiving for a new way to worship. Thanksgiving for a new way to give thanks. Do we understand all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ? And have we made that decision and are following in that discipleship? Thanksgiving for all that God has done, being held in the heart of God. As you have received... So walk, be walking, be abounding in walking. You have been, this is what God is doing for you in Jesus Christ, you have been built the roots of, I mean, uh, you have been uh, rooted, the roots of your life planted in the life of Jesus. You have been being built by God into this new building, this new structure, and you have been established by God as God's own person, as God's own being. And so, as a result of that, overflow with thanksgiving for all that God has done. Let's pray. God, we are here because we believe that you love us, that you care for us, that you have guided us even into this place at this time. We believe that the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus the Lord, has changed everything about this world. And we believe that in him we have been uh, rooted in the depth of his, the soil of his love, we have been built in the hope and the faith of God's good um, building, and we have been transferred to be God's own person, God's own people. God, enable us, as we have made that decision, to live in a discipleship that moves with overwhelming thanksgiving for all that you have done for us and for this world. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.